Since mid-September, images of Iranian students and schoolgirls protesting across Iran have flooded social media. The unrest started following the death of Mahsa Amini, a 22-year-old Iranian Kurd who died in custody on September 16th. After being detained in Tehran by the morality police for allegedly not covering her hair properly. At least 201 people have been killed since the nationwide protests erupted, among them 28 children, according to the Tehran-based Association for the Protection of Children. The largest number of deaths occurred in the provinces of Sistan and Baluchistan. These protests, led by young women, are unusual, but will they make history? spoken with Iranian scholars, protesters inside Iran, and Iranian activists in the diaspora who have told us how they are experiencing it. My name is Jakub Gurnitsky and this is Outriders Podcast. A reporter of this episode is Lola Garcia-Hofrin and it was edited by Justyna Gotz from Sounds and Stories. Our work is possible thanks to your support. Please join our Patreon today if you haven't done it already. Thank you. We just want freedom. We want to be like other people, other women in the world. The main difference with other protests, and I think it is a huge difference, is that the young women are the face of this movement, I'm says done. Iranian analyst Hamze Galebi. I don't have anything to say anymore. Mr. Galebi, you are currently in France since you were exiled from Iran after the Green Revolution. I guess you are following the current protest with a special attention for an international audience that we have seen all this image on social media. What is happening in Iran right now? Uh, there is an outrage. There is an outrage all around the country. Uh, it's triggered, it is break out after uh, Masa Amini died in the custody of the police who is translated to moral police. It means that there is a police force that enforces the obligatory hijab. So, and then there is a demonstration all around the country for now almost three weeks. In some cases, it's really violence and there is a people who died. Then there is like conflict, the official narrative of the violence and what's actually happened or what people believe. Uh, it's difficult to have a clear judgment, but we have enough facts that at least for sure there is a clear case that the police use the unlegitimate force against the pacific demonstration. 
Uh, we saw some protests uh, like this before the Green Revolution. Are this moment different than the previous one? Several points. Revolution may be some exaggeration. There's a real movement, I would say, means the participation, number of the wheel, and the day that it's happened is a lot, all spread all around the country. But the rate of participation is not the number that we can label it revolution. So, or I'm not sure that is political force to change something in macro structure of the power in Iran. So the first, my observation doesn't confirm me that is a revolution. There's a real movement, deep root movement, but not necessarily a revolution. Another difference this time, we don't have kind of leadership organization or public figure that lead. It's completely decentralized movement all around the country and the diverse background. Apparently, a lot of young, even in official statistic who police published, or this is something new. The involvement of the students, it's like always, but however, this time, the professors and the faculty member also uh, joined uh, the student movement. That's also is something new. But the main difference that I think is a huge difference is the, uh, the young women are the face of this movement and the women rights uh, is like main, is like main command or main uh, claim that the movement have. So this is really the different and new. And what are the scenarios that we can see now? Because it's near three weeks since it started. What can we see now? What are the possible scenarios that we can see in the next coming weeks? Well, there is a claim that this is the beginning of a revolution. I don't see enough evidence for that, but however, we cannot deny that is huge change, huge movement, and it's for three weeks is significant. Another uh, scenario could be suppress violence more aggressively than this and they just stop it however i think realistic uh, or i'm i think we have more evidence that the situation like this could be continue means this movement are not going to create a huge political change however at the same time it's difficult to suppress it because it's not organized in the classic way so it will manage to create some social change in Iran profoundly, but not necessarily political change. In 2009, you work as an advisor to the presidential candidate Mir Hussein Mousavi, who in fact led massive protests in Iran. Uh, it would be possible for the current government to give more freedom or, for, or to do some changes in the policies in order to satisfy these protesters? Could it be possible? I think they conclude already that this moral police, they don't have a social support for that, even in their social base. They are not in favor of continue. However, they are in undecision mode. They cannot make a decision because some part of the hardliner believe if they just accept some of the people demand, they will go forward. 
it is a lot of thing uh it's difficult to say i think they don't have this uh capacity to make a decision but this conclusion that the moral police doesn't work this is uh it's like shared uh conclusion all over there is a report that officially published by um iranian parliament it's now three years that uh, the researcher on that a report uh, published that majority of the Iranian they don't support any obligation on hijab even the people that who support hijab as a choice but they don't in favor of obligation so uh, i think what will be happen it's difficult to imagine that officially make a decision to change it but i'm optimist that they will be more tolerant and we have unofficially eased this hijab, uh, obligatory hijab. Could it be possible that someone steal this movement for their own benefits? There is this- They can claim, uh, but actually they do. All around, all the political movement, they try that they say, this is us. The like, even uh, in opposition, the royalists, I don't know, extreme, uh, rights which is existing the uh, Iranian opposition groups or whatever like a different group can say uh, however I think for same reason it's difficult to suppress them and it's difficult to steal the movement which role is playing the internet here because maybe another different uh, today with previous protests is the role that social media and internet is playing the internet in Iran is actually the important medium for pub any public discussion. Unfortunately, lack of free media so and public space, the majority of debate on any policy, any politics, anything about politic, uh, public life, it's happened in social network. And the people learned uh, during the last two decades how to turn the filtrage how to use the internet even it's limited so that's really changed uh, the way that the society mobilize organize and one of the reasons this decentralized movement can happen uh, with the but organizes every small part every part of the country is because of the internet however the capacity of the government to control the internet also increased they can just black out, cut out part of the internet anywhere, any city, any part of the city. So if uh, it's uh, difficult to say at the same time, they allow people to organize, have a discussion. At the same time, they just cut the internet some part and they shut down. It's more difficult to organize. Uh, so in like, as a like long-term variable, I would say internet has a huge positive impact in social movement in Iran, but in a specific case, because the capacity now that the new capacity, they can shut down the internet anytime, any, uh, anywhere that they want. So also is a limiting factor. I am afraid because they behave very badly. If they arrest a person, they take him to an unknown place and it is not known what happens after that. We have a very bad and violent government 
while our people are very kind. We'll continue the protests until we get what we want. We want to change the government. They are the words of a 24-year-old master's student in international law from Shiraz, an Iranian city known for its literature and its gardens. We contacted her after seeing that this student, like many other Iranians in recent days, had published a photo with her long hair without a headscarf in the center of her city. We have spoken by messages on Twitter since days after the protest in Iran took place. She asks us not to reveal her name, nor does she want to show her voice, but her message is. The reason for the widespread protests of women in Iran is that women's rights have been greatly violated in this country and it is a completely patriarchal country. In Iran, women do not have many rights. Our interviewee questions that in Iran, married women need their husband's permission to be able to hold a passport and the custody of a child after divorce is always with the father after the age of seven. Just before seven years old, children stay with the mother and even in that case, the father or the paternal grandfather retains guardianship. Also, children born to Iranian women and non-Iranian men can be denied nationality, leaving thousands of children who were born of marriages between Iranian women and Afghan or Iraqi refugees in limbo. And she adds, Even women's dowry is half of men's. Here, girls have much less freedom than boys and are restricted even in the family. We want equal rights between men and women, and we want all the disrespects done to women to be compensated. Another problem in our country is the economic problem. We have a very rich country in terms of having oil, gas, mining, etc. But our current government does not provide it to our people. My family and I have similar thoughts about the recent events. I have supportive parents and they don't restrict me much except in some issues. Conservations occur in a trickle of messages. Sometimes we don't have communication and other times all the messages arrive at once. She explains that before the protests, some social media such as Twitter or WhatsApp were filtered in Iran. However, Instagram and WhatsApp did not have filters. But now all day the internet is filtered by an anti-filter app. And from the evening to the end of the night, the filter increases and the internet speed becomes weaker. The internet is playing a huge, huge, huge role in the protest, says Elnas Sarbar, an Iranian-American women's rights activist who grew up in Iran and left for the US when she was 28. She is moved when she says that her newborn daughter will be very proud. Wow, so thank you so much for being with us, especially uh, in this moment. Uh, you said that you started as an activist in 2017-2018. What happened? Why did you decide that you should do more even you were far from your country? Yeah, uh, very good question. And I tell you why. In 2018, I believe, uh, the government arrested Maide Hojabri. She was a dancer on Instagram. She just danced and she danced beautifully. And her videos had a lot of viewers and the government arrested her. 
And at a time I was, you know, I love dancing. Like as a seven-year-old, six-year-old, I would put videos of Azerbaijani dances and I would just imitate the dances and I would imitate the, in the Bollywood dancing. And I would have like tape recording of those that I would take to parties and play with them at dance. So I love dancing. And I was like, I have to, um, record a video of myself dancing and put it on Instagram because I was already on Instagram and, and support this woman. And then my second thought was, mm hmm, if I do that, and if I go back to Iran, I might get arrested, I might get in trouble, you know, and then I realized, even though I was leaving, I was living in the US at a time, and that was, I was almost 10 years living in the US at a time, I was still uh, afraid of the Islamic Republic and the terror that they had instigated in me was still with me. And I decided that enough is enough. You know, I need to be loud. I need to expose what's happening inside Iran. So I started working with inside Iran. So I started working with Masi Alinejad. Um, she is an uh, Iranian journalist and activist who has been working against compulsory hijab since 2014. Uh, so a long time ago, and she has done amazing campaigns. Um, basically, I would I would say she taught Iranian women about social disobedience. She published a photo of herself um with open hair in this in a in public in a street kind of running and she said i really enjoy the, the wind in my hair how do you feel like do you feel the same way and a lot of iranian women sent their photos to her and saying yeah we feel the same way and they took pictures of themselves and video of themselves in public without a scarf and saying we actually don't want to wear this um so uh and then since then i've been um translating for her so she receives a lot of videos from inside iran and i did subtitle some of them i wrote like posts for social media and um you know i i, I work in exposing um basically echoing the sound of iranian women to the outside world because it hasn't been heard um and i've been continuing doing that with the protest which which was made it more urgent because there there's too much going on and it has been already uh, four weeks, uh, more than four weeks since the protest started. Uh, are they different than other protests before? What is happening? Yeah, this is day day 34, actually. Well, now you're in Armenia, so it's day 34 there in Iran as well. Um, and um, it is very interesting. You know, when they started, I, I looked at them, I was like, we'll, we'll see how far this goes. And this come, it's come very far. Um, differences are, first of all, women are in the front line of these protests. And I would say this is the first time, um, except from the a few years or the beginning, right after the Islamic Revolution of 1979, we had the women in the street protesting hijab before. But since then, we didn't have women going to street in groups and saying, you don't want hijab, and they are saying more at this time. And so women are in the streets, men are in the streets to support them. Students are very active. Um, we've seen middle schoolers and high school girls in the street, which is amazing. I don't think anywhere in the world in any revolution we've ever seen people as young as them in the street. And they are chanting um, uh, basically the, the first um, slogan that was in the street was uh, women, life, liberty. They're also chanting death to dictator. And they have been in the streets day after day. And, um, you know, 
a lot of people ask this question rightly. What's the difference between, for example, this one and 2019? Because in 2019, a lot of people came to the street. And the government's response was pretty much the same as in 2019. They uh, shut down the internet. They started um, oppressing the, the protesters by using um, pallet guns, uh, tear gases, and in some cases, even live ammunition in Balochistan and, and Kurdistan specifically. And um, they're expecting people to go down. Like in, in 2019, about 1,500 people were killed and people went back home after two weeks. And now we are day 33 and 30, 34, and we're still seeing people coming back day after day to the street. And, and, and they're saying we are fed up with this government, um, basically death to dictator, dictatorship and death to Khamenei, the supreme leader himself, is, is chanted in all the cities, in more than 100 cities of Iran. And they're not going back home till this is done. So there's a t determination. My friend in Iran, she's about the same age as me, and she says, there is a self-confidence among, among Iranian women that she has never seen before. And I think that's what makes this a very unique. We saw some images on social media with this repression by police, and it's very uh, brutal. You said that you're in contact with some friends, some people in Iran. Are they afraid? Yes and no. Yes, they are afraid because they could be beaten and they could be killed. I mean, the images that we see is very brutal. I have seen security forces banging the head of a woman against the sidewalk and they are beating, beating them in the head with batons. They have been 16 year olds that died. There is um, this girl that the, the board has heard her name, Nikasha Karami. She's going back from work to home. She calls her friend on the way back and she says, um, I joined the protest and I burned my scarf. I burned my hijab and I'm joining the protest. And then she goes missing. Um, her phone is off, her social media accounts are deactivated. Um, her parents are looking for her and they actually um, go to prison where she was in fact kept. They go to Kahrizak prison three times and they can't find it. They actually put on a missing ad person for her um, and um, they don't find her. 10 days later, they get a phone call that uh, come and collect her body and her body is um, her nose is smashed, um, her bones are cracked, and her face um, is unidentifiable. They recognize her, they identify her by a birthmark. And um, her, her family are threatened not to speak. So, um, yes, they are, they're afraid because that, that is happening. Which role the internet is playing? A huge, huge, huge. Um, so Instagram was not filtered in Iran until three weeks, until the beginning of this. And Instagram is huge. Um, I would, um, so a, a couple of examples why this, like Masi Alinejad, the activist I mentioned earlier, she has about 8 million followers on Instagram. And um, a lot of Iranian women inside Iran and a lot of um, other people actually, both men and women, use Instagram as kind of use Etsy. Like they pull like, oh, I have these handmade, you know, potteries or handmade stuff. If you want to buy them, just DM me. So you DM them and then you pay the money to the electrical bank and then you, you have it shipped. So they, they use it in Instagram in this way. So Instagram is very popular. WhatsApp is popular. And then I want to add this, that Iranians know how to get around filtering, even the tax Taxi drivers have VPN because the navigations app they had to use was filtered, so they know how to learn it. So 
um, social media really connected people and they gave them, I would say two things. They let them see the outside world to see how the outside world is. And then also it let them express their true feelings. So all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm not the only one who who's fed up with this government. I'm not the only one who doesn't want to hijab. Um, so I think it was really a, like this process of people realizing and becoming their true true selves of you know for themselves you're not uh, you said that you you have a very small baby that uh sees three weeks i think you said what kind of event you would like to see or he sees yeah you know it's it's, it's strange that this is happening at this time because I decided to leave the country when I was a teenager and I was thinking to myself that I would never want to have a child, especially a girl born in this country. Because it was just so hard. It was sorry. It was it was it was cruel to introduce another human being there. So I decided to leave. It took me a while before I could leave. I was 28 when I left. So I had more chance of seeing what's happening and i'm you know i'm i'm really <laughs> i think she she would be very proud it, it is very important for us because what is what is happening in iran is is something we wanted to say for years i think if i want to close with something i think um ooh, who was it it wasn't malcolm x there was a uh, martin luther king that says injustice anywhere is a threat to, to injustice everywhere and um, I hope that people uh, would recognize that and support us. And thank you for giving me time to speak about this. Large blaze and unrest broke out in the capital Saturday night. But protesters gathered on the roads outside. A political prison ablaze. Gunshots ringing out. Just in the Kurdish cities, we know that our confirmed number is 38 killed people and the injured people crossed 1,500 and thousands are arrested, says Ramiar Hassani, spokesperson of the Henga Human Rights, an Oslo-based independent human rights organization reporting on the human rights violations in Iranian Kurdistan. You are one out of 42 organizations that have called for an urgent meeting with UN Human Rights uh, Council to express your concern what is, what is happening in Iran right now. Did you get any answers so far? Well, that is uh, like a couple of days ago that we have uh, so far no, uh, but let's see, let's hope. And what do you expect to get if you get this meeting? As we have uh, mentioned in the letter, uh, we want them to establish a mechanism to investigate the, uh, the gross uh, violations of the human rights for now more than a month. As you said, it's almost, it's more than four weeks since they started. And we saw on social media um, a lot of uh, footage of a brutal repression by the police. So uh, the thing is that for Kurdistan, our confirmed number is about 38 killed. The injured has crossed uh, 1,500, and we have uh, thousands of arrested people that even last week 
to put the detainees and arrested uh, people, be it activists or protesters, uh, in those warehouses because the jails were full. And who are these people who were killed? Are they students? Uh, there is a mix, mainly from the protesters and mainly uh, shot directly uh, by the security forces, by the battle rifles like uh, Kalashnikov, AK-47, then tortured to death. And uh, I wanted to ask you, which role is playing the internet here? There, there is a great role uh, that internet is playing. Uh, let's split it into two. One is to get the information out that people around the world see the heinous crimes against uh, uh, humanity that happen that happens in uh, Iran uh, untold. The other thing is that for the Iranian lobby outside of Iran uh, that try uh, to uh, minimi minimize the protests to only hijab, it's very important to show the world that it's not only about hijab because the demand of people is changing of the regime that uh, the Iranian lobby outside of Iranian regime wants the world to believe because the people's demand, Iranians' demand is change of the regime. They're not compromising. If they were compromising, they would do it by now. And if the Iranian regime uh, make amendments, whatever, in the hijab policies to stay in power, this wave of protests it's not only about hijab's main demand, which is the change of regime. What are the differences that you find uh, in this protest and previous one like 2009 or other protests that already happened in Iran? Yes, we see quite many young women, uh, even from the high school uh, students, uh, protesting, cutting their hair, tearing down the photos of the Ayatollah Khamenei, Khomeini in this protest and organizers. So they don't need, they haven't had the need for any political party to, or a political figure to organize them. They have been organizing themselves, the young people. But the other differences could be that they have been uh, quite united all the way from Kurdistan to Zahedan, from Khorasan to Ahwaz to Tehran. Can we say that this is a generalized movement or who is the people who don't support this protest? I guess the only people who don't support this uh, movement are those that they know that in a free Iran, they won't have a place and that they will be persecuted for the crimes that they have, uh, like the IRGC commanders or the people in Ayatollah Khamenei and that sort of people. You are in contact with many people in Iran. They reported many cases of suffering, of abuse. Are people afraid? I think they are both afraid and at the same time quite hopeful that, uh, uh, of course, you are afraid of uh, criminals and thugs uh, being sent sent thugs and with full immunity to shoot people. But at the same time, 
they are not afraid of the regime. They are, of course, as a human being, you're afraid of a bullet coming towards you. But on your, in your beliefs, you're not afraid. That this is the feeling of the Iranians. They're not afraid of the regime anymore. Since the death of Mahsa Amina, demonstrations and marches have occurred around the world in solidarity with the ongoing protests in Iran. This is the case of Armenia, which shares a border with Iran. Here, every day at 7 p.m., a group of Iranians gather in front of the embassy, chanting slogans against the Iranian regime and sharing hot coffee and homemade sweets. Among them are members of the LGBTQ community, refugees, some Kurdish families and young Iranians, such as Maral, who has a sister currently joining the protest in Tehran. She says that she is afraid for her sister, but would never ask her to stay at home. Do you have family in Iran? Yeah, my, uh, my whole family, my entire family. It's like my uncles and everything, but my mom and sister, the only people that are my family are right there now. And, hey, are you afraid? Of course I am, because every time, like right now, the internet is cut off. It's not like you can hear from them every minute you want, every day. It's been days that I didn't talk with my mom. With my sister, just got some text that, like, it's okay, we're right, we're all right. And I should wait for the next time that they can get, like, the internet and, like, text us that it's, everything is okay, we're right. We don't know that, I don't know right now they're in the street or in the house and some, what, what's going under. So, yeah, I am afraid. And you don't tell your sister to stay at home, it would be we, we talked about it. No, it's it's hard. I I am worried. We are. We all have families and friends there. We are afraid for them, but no, it's for her own life. If they don't go, they will never live free. If she doesn't go, I don't know. Next time, next massa. I mean, is if this time any change happens in Iran, it will be run by mothers. Mothers' revolution because. The shit is going on, so many stuff happened, but we kind of, we people have this mechanism of like kind of, okay, this is it, we live the life, but for a mother, if you kill their children, they have nothing else. They don't care about nothing else. So if you kill a mother's child, that one person is not stoppable. She doesn't care about her life. She doesn't care about anything till she takes you down. So. That happened. They kept killing people's child, children. They kept making mothers mourning for their children. And now these women are out there, mothers and the girls. Negin, a 35-year-old Iranian woman, also joins the demonstration in front of Iranian embassy of the Islamic Republic of Iran in Yerevan almost every night. My name is Negin. I am from Iran and um, we are in Yerevan now. Um, tell me, when did, you leave, when did you leave Iran and why? Of course, I grew up in Iran until I was 23, I was living there. Um, I went and did my undergrad, uh, my school in Iran and I left in 2009 actually when the Green Movement was happening. Um, which was like a reformist movement in 2009 and that was the year I applied for a bunch of universities in Canada. I got an admission and I left Iran when I was 23. Um, since then I have lived in a few countries but I landed in Yerevan because it's close to home. It feels like home a little bit 
and I got to visit my family and talk to them a lot easier until the recent events where um, connections kind of got caught off a little bit. So yeah, that's why I'm here. That's uh, where I came from. <laughs> Do you have any connection or relatives still in Iran? Yes, yes. Um, I have everybody in Iran except my brother and sister um, who recently uh, moved to uh, Yerevan as well. But my mother is still there. All my friends are in Iran. I mean, now I say that and I have a lot of friends in other places who may get jealous. So I have friends everywhere, but my childhood friends are all in Iran. Um, I speak with them regularly or I spoke with them regularly and I often talk to my mom still through Skype or all of these channels where we can still connect but internet is weak and it's getting a little bit hard and that's part of the reason people gather every day outside of the Iranian embassy to ask why can't we access our family why is there no internet and that's a small reason why we show up. Yeah, I would like to ask you in the last days we saw several people gathering in front of the embassy yeah. in Yerevan, like in other countries is <laughs> happening. Uh, what did you attend? Where did you gather and to join all these people? Yeah, that was, it's, it's such a um, spontaneous thing. It was very interesting to see. Um, I know some of the people who started in the first day to go uh, in front of the embassy and they kind of started it for themselves because all of us felt very helpless, but also very hopeful for the first time in a very long time, if I say in ever in my lifetime. Um, people started showing up for their own personal reasons, of course, uh, but for a lot of us, it was just to raise each other's morale because the news coming out of Iran is so dark and so sad, but also so very bright and so very hopeful. So we came to give each other more energy because we all felt so isolated and we needed that support. At the same time, uh, to kind of send a message back home and say, I'm, I'm not with you there, but I will raise your voice where I am. Um, Yerevan is a little bit more complicated than like a place, say, like Berlin or LA, because um, a lot of people here, did, they didn't really like immigrate the same way you do, let's say, like I moved for university to Canada, or a lot of people immigrate for work or different reasons. A lot of people in Yerevan are either people who have active cases as refugees or they're LGBTQ community, or they're here for reasons that are not, not necessarily um, their choice, essentially. It's, um, I don't want to generalize, of course, there are always people who choose to um, move around and live for different reasons, but a lot of people here uh, don't have the same situation as, say, the Iranians in um, Europe or Iranians in North America. So it's a different crowd. Um, it's a smaller community, so you're very visible, easily picked apart, easily kind of noticed. Um, so the fact that these people show up every day, uh, we say every day from seven to nine, we're gonna be there, and there's always a crowd. Uh, there are people who are regulars. I myself try to do it, but some days I, I don't know, mentally or spiritually, if you will, I wasn't doing uh, so well, so I chose to kind of stay and regroup. But um, people show up every day, and it's a show of solidarity and a show of support for each other that is invaluable. I'm, I, I feel like I needed it, so I'm, I'm happy to see that it happens every single day still. You said that you left before, after the green movement. Mm -hmm. um, what are the similarities or differences between that protest and this current protest? For me, the, the, of course, this is, again, the perspective of one perhaps very uninformed person in Iranian politics. So this is just my version of the story that happened when I was in Iran in 2009. I remember uh, going on the streets, um, essentially asking, where's my vote? And that was, I wouldn't consider myself a 
a reformist <laughs> in terms of the Islamic Republic, but um, there was still hope for change in a way within the regime. I don't know if that's necessarily true in my case. I, I don't think I ever believed that it would happen personally. And I think a lot of people also felt that way, but we still wanted to say like, we're unhappy with the way things are going down. So we went out there and the, the chant was, where's my vote? And it was still with an opposition leader that was part of the regime, that is part of the regime, that has a history of also committing crimes within the regime. So it wasn't necessarily what's happening at all in any form or shape, um, close to what's happening right now. Uh, we were afraid of even chanting things like death to the dictator or specifically name um, Khomeini as like a perpetrator of the crime. We did, some people did way longer than I did, but I remember the day they started opening fire on the crowd and I was standing next to this girl, um, a friend of mine, and the two of us looked at each other and we were like, rubber bullets, right? Like, there's no way they are just going to open fire. And the day after I went to our university, I remember walking on the campus and everybody told me like, they killed Neda. And I was like, who is Neda? What are you, who are you guys talking about? And we went to our campus's uh, computer lab and I'll never forget that we all watched uh, life leave the eyes of this beautiful girl on the ground while she was bleeding. And we were n never the same. Like I remember we were all shaking with so much rage and um, anger, but also with fear. We were all afraid that we're gonna be the next Neda, knowing that we just got lucky that we weren't. And um, this time around, what I'm seeing is they open fire, people fall, and nobody runs. And the courage, ah, oh, goosebumps, <laughs> sorry. The, the way this younger generation is functioning is beyond my imagination. Um, I, I read this a long time ago, ago in North America about like indigenous women, and it was that you are the fullest expression of generations of women dreaming of somebody like you and they are they are the fullest expression of decades of women fighting for something and these young girls are not taking no for an answer and they're not stopping and the difference is that they get killed and they continue um, other people raise the flag and go on and it's it's just not even comparable. It's incredible. Like I can't I, just watching it from far away. I feel I was joking earlier about this, but it could be my kids, it could be my sisters, could be uh, my young sisters that are out there refusing to go home. And I am filled with so much pride, and I'm in so much awe of their their ability to ask for what they need, ask for what they want and not back down. What do you think is going to happen next? Ooh, that's a million dollar question. Mm -hmm. I wish I had like a crystal ball where I could just touch it. <laughs> um, I want to say I grew up with faith. I'm not a religious person, but my mother has faith in ways that I don't quite understand. Um, and her faith in justice, that it will prevail, has always been there. And it's been internalized in me that I do believe that as well. And I think what's gonna happen next. Somebody said that on Twitter, I wish I knew their name. They said, it may not be the season finale, but it's the final season of this regime. So the genie is out of the freaking bottle. There's no way you can put this back. There is no way you can see these young girls put their headscarves back and go back to their little meek lives where 
you're a second-class citizen and you get no rights. No, it's it's over. This is never going to be the same. It may not happen tomorrow, or it may. I know other revolutions that they say like 20 minutes before the end, things look absolutely normal. So um, it may not happen very quickly, but I know it's coming for sure. It's coming, and the change that will come. Um, this generation is too bright to be tricked. Um, there are a lot of people who are worried about uh, external influences, about who is the opposition, why is there no meaningful leadership, and to me those are just questions that don't need to be asked right now because um, there are celebrities who try to participate in these protests and people are so aware, so quick to pinpoint those voices, those interventions. Even if you look at it right now, nobody's asking for external intervention. People are asking for their voice to be heard and to be amplified and for the support to be consistent, but nobody's asking anybody to come save them. And I think that's the beauty of it. These, these kids are there for themselves, their future, and they're gonna build a future that we're all gonna envy. This was Outriders Podcast. We publish in English irregularly, but we hope so to do it more often, as many of our episodes are created all around the world, and the language we produce them originally is quite often English. So we try our best to deliver them, if we can, to our small but very powerful and unique and exclusive English audience. Thank you very much for today's episode. Hope to talk to you very soon. Thank you. زندگی آزالی برای توی کوچه رفتیدن برای ترسیدن به وقت بوسیدن برای خواهرم خواهرت خواهرامو برای تصویر تکرار این لحظه برای چهره ای که میخواه